we don't persist because we see hope. We only see hope when we persist. And before we succeed, we are not failing. It's just that we are not there yet. Hello, Vicky Roman here, host of the podcast "What Could Possibly Go Right," a project of the Post Carbon Institute, where we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. Today's guest is Glacier Kuang. She's a political activist from Hong Kong who was born in 1996. She's the founder of the non-governmental organization Keyboard Frontline that monitors privacy abuses and censorship on the web. Her interests include personal security, for example. She said in an interview in 2019 that radio frequency identification scanners can trace different personal devices like mobile phones. And credit cards, so that your privacy may be abused by illegal observers. Recent news confirms that this trend is continuing, and the crackdown is is happening even more profoundly. Uh, as a student at the Hong Kong University, she attended the Umbrella Revolution, the nonviolent protest that struck Hong Kong during two months of the autumn of 2014. In it, she recorded a short video during the Umbrella Revolution about needed international assistance for Hong Kong, and uploaded it to social media, where the video clip gathered over a million views. She also supported the movement called Young Inspiration, that was created after the end of the Umbrella Revolution to fight for seats in the Legislation Council elections. Uh, she is currently in self-exile in Germany, where she is now seeking a PhD in law. But she feels very aligned and very connected with the democracy movement in Hong Kong and the democracy movements around the world. So now my interview with Glacier. Welcome, Glacier Kuang, uh, to what could possibly go right. I heard you speak uh, on an online seminar called Regenerative Activism about your participation in the democracy movement in Hong Kong and. I admired your courage, your passion, your honesty, and your surprising lightness of spirit, given in the tightening grip of state power in Hong Kong. And I know you're now in Germany in self-exile and studying law. Um, and you recently wrote uh, something that I wanted to read because it impressed me. I cannot see the end point of my activism or the ETA, the estimated time of arrival, going back to Hong Kong. It is defeating, to say the least, to see no matter how hard you work, most of your friends and colleagues are either arrested, in jail, or in exile. The lack of good news makes it very difficult to stay optimistic being abroad. And then you say later, we do not persist only when we see hope, but only when we persist. So I talk with cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, to help us all see through their eyes the landscape ahead. And feel free to say a bit about yourself and the history of your struggle if you'd like to set the stage for answering our one question, uh, which is: With all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right? When everything is going wrong. I think you have to be all right. Like yourself, have to be all right. Um, I'm Glacier Kwong. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and I came to Germany in 2018 for my uh, master's programs. And then I decided to do a PhD. And now I'm in self and post exile because of the activism I do for Hong Kong. It is indeed very difficult to be in exile and to know that you will be 
separated from your city and your homeland for an unknown amount of time. But it is very important that I assure that, oh, I have to be okay. I have to be all right. Being okay or being all right doesn't mean that I'm not sad or I'm not unhappy for the fact that I'm in exile. Um, everything around me with regards to Hong Kong, it's basically going wrong. My friends are either in exile or in jail, and I myself is in exile too. But things for me are going right too. I am treasuring the precious freedoms and the privilege that I enjoy here in Germany, the freedom of speech to be able to say whatever I believe in, whatever I want to say. And I can still advocate the cause of Hong Kong. Like we're asking for universal suffrage, we're asking for democracy, we're asking for freedoms. And I ask myself every day if I am, if I'm doing enough so that I won't feel guilty about the fact that I get to enjoy these freedoms and privileges when my friends and my colleagues cannot. And have I been like using, utilizing every moment that I have freely? Like, do I take breaks responsibly? Do I work hard enough? Do I spend time uh, for myself and so on? These are all very important questions that you have to ask yourself when everything is going wrong. And because there are those people who cannot do that anymore, like in Myanmar, people have died because of protests. In, uh, in China, people are being forced to work in re-education camps that they don't actually have the privilege to think about what do they want for their lives. So when I have the privilege to do so, I have to ask myself constantly if this is something that I want or if I am doing the right thing, honor that the freedom and the privileges I have right now. And I was always asked as an activist, like, what can I do or what can Hong Kongers do in, uh, in the face of tightening grip of the states? I usually say the only thing we can do in such dire stress is that we take care of ourselves, we, we stay hydrated, we take care of our emotions, because these things don't seem useful. Like it's not a revolution that you're doing. You're simply taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself mentally and physically. But the term usefulness is actually something that is very retrospective, that you only find some historical event useful after things have ended and you look back and you decide that, oh, that is actually the turning point. So when we are in the process of trying to change the world for the better, we don't know if what we are doing are useful, but you have to try just like, uh, as, you, as you read, like we don't persist because we see hope. We only see hope when we persist. And before we succeed, we are not failing. It's just that we are not there yet. So I'd say when everything is going wrong, you have to make sure that you are doing okay and you are doing all right so that you have the ability to facilitate change. No matter it is change that's going to happen after a decade or two, or it's change that is going to happen like tomorrow. For example, if you are going to bed earlier tonight and then you'll be feeling more rested and more energetic tomorrow, this is a change. This is a positive change that is happening in your life. And who knows what's gonna happen in a decade or two. Maybe uh, we will thrive and win the fight for democracy or maybe it will take longer uh, than we expected. But anyway, we're not wasting a single day in our life and we're doing the best that we can. Uh, it's such an interesting bridging between self-care and 
a sustained democracy movement, a sustained movement that is confronting power because it's so easy to get swept up in the, the exigencies, the requirements of the day and the, the panic in the street or the, you know, like trying to find your friend and you, you can't find your friend. And to be able to say that self-care is part of the revolution is quite amazing. And, and one of the things I notice about you is that you don't seem to dismiss or disparage the fears and doubts. One way that people sometimes keep themselves going in a movement is to rise to the occasion and to suppress the fears and doubts in service to the glorious cause. You know what I mean? But you seem to be able to, to do both. You be, seem to be able to stay connected with your humanity and stay connected with the movement. Is that just, you know, is that you or is that some quality that is in the people, your associates in Hong Kong, you know, um, in the movement? Have people stayed positive, not, not positive, but stayed in their full humanity even as they confronted power? I guess that's the question. I'd say activism at its core is fighting for the better livelihood of people. So it doesn't make any sense if we don't care about self-care in any kind of activism, because like yourself, your mental well-being, uh, you being happy is actually one of the main goals that we are after when we're doing activism, so that I can be happy, my friends can be happy, and, and the later generations can be very like content with living and growing up in Hong Kong. But about the point of suppressing the fear and doubt, I, I do that a lot, actually, to be honest. Like there are times where I don't feel I have control over myself. And I feel like if I really feel those emotions that I was feeling, like when you face like close friends being arrested and put behind bars, if you really think about that, it's actually very painful to go through. And there are times where I would just work and work and try to ignore the fact that I feel very sad. This happened to me very often, but that is not doing me any good, to be very honest. Um, it only makes me less humane, like to put it that way. And that is not how I should be because I feel like being humane and feel all the pain is one of the way to remind myself, what am I fighting for? Because I am trying to prevent other people have to experience this kind of emotional torture. That's why I'm in this fight. And I feel like I have to be very upfront with my emotions publicly too, because if I am feeling that, that means a lot of other people are feeling it too. And I don't think suppressing would help as I experience. So it would be great to let other people know it's okay. It's really okay. It's not just you. We are all feeling the same. You don't have to hide. We can, we can form group therapy. We can talk to each other. We can try to work it out together. And when you know that someone next to you is going through the same thing and they are still there and they're still doing okay, you feel very much relieved and feel supported because, oh, they can do it. So I might as well do it too, just that it might take longer for me. I think this is, this is very important. And taking breaks and going to like eating a whole pint of ice cream or crying overnight is 
a very necessary thing that you go through when you are in such a horrible social environment. I'm not saying we should be very happily facing this kind of very uncomfortable experience, but we have to admit that, oh, I am feeling very uncomfortable. I don't have a situation in control. I need something to help me, no matter if it's rest or uh, professional intervention or other other things. And we know that there's going to be a long time that we might have to experience these things because things in Hong Kong are not changing for the better right now. And you have to allow yourself a lot of time to accept that. And it might be like, don't cram your schedule. Um, maybe don't see a lot of people or see more people. It depends on the people. When you like break your, your your leg, you won't try to go to run or go to basketball. It's the same logic. Like if you're not okay, you don't do something. And a very important thing is to believe like these feelings will all go away. It's like going through a breakup. I don't think it's a really like appropriate analogy, but because I don't have much experience in my life. So I think breakup would be the best example I have to offer. If you feel like you, when you're at the beginning of the breakup, you don't feel like you're going to love someone again. It's like, oh, I'm so heartbroken. I'm going to stay the same forever. But it's not like eventually you will go through that period and then you feel like, oh, I can love someone again and I have so much love to offer. This is somehow the same with other emotional pain, especially for those uh, who are experiencing pains related to social movements and activism. It takes a lot, a lot of time to face these kind of heartbreaking situations that are happening in Hong Kong. And so it's okay, just measure yourself against the measuring stick of going through a breakup. It's okay if you don't get up uh, on Saturday or Sunday, it's okay to cry, it's okay to eat ice cream, it's okay to do everything that makes you feel better in moderation and of course, when it doesn't harm yourself. And so I'd say activism is actually closely tied to self-care in my mind because like to be a happier person or to be a better person is always the core goal of activism. No matter it is fighting for democracy, it's fighting for human rights and other things. The ultimate goal is always better livelihood for everyone. Yeah, exactly. This is such good advice also for the uh, climate activists because, you know, I mean, this isn't state power per se. This is state power in resistance to doing what is necessary to avert the worst disasters, that the disasters that are happening now that are in the works, you know, climate disasters, and that if we don't change, will be future generations. So it's this, it's a similar thing. It's how do we live in a time when the things that we were born into, that we assumed that the, the, our rights to life, you know, when we assumed that all of that would stay the same, and then it's then it's 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 crumbling around you. I think people are struggling a great deal to find their relationship with the larger events in the world. And even though we don't yet in the United States need a pro-democracy movement like yours, we're working it out through our our Congress. You know, we're working it out through tools of democracy right now, but we're all in a very long marathon, aren't we? And in a way, it's it's what you're saying. It's like sticking up for not that someone else is wrong in doing what they're doing, but sticking up for our basic humanity and the beautiful world and making it for our future. I, in regard to what's happening in Hong Kong now, and I know that you might need to be limited in things you say, but I mean, if you look at that situation and you say, with all that's going wrong, what could possibly go right? 
What would be your reflection on this moment in time in the Hong Kong democracy movement? When everything is going wrong in Hong Kong, I think I have never, I have never been not amazed by the qualities Hong Kong people have, because in the face of Beijing and the Communist Party that they are cracking down on us, Hong Kongers have one million reasons to back down and to abandon the fight because it's scary, because our lives, our personal safety are at risk. And if we say something wrong, then we'll be put behind bars. But Hong Kongers never yield. Although, mm. although they're not on their feet right now because of the pandemic, or their mindset about we have to fight the fight for freedom have never actually gone, like go away. They're still very much aware of the fact that we are still in the middle of the fight, although we seem to be losing and we're not giving up. I think this is one of the biggest reflection that I have recently about what does it mean to be brave? Being brave is not not being afraid. It's choosing the right thing, even though you're extremely terrified. This is something that is very difficult to imagine for me because I have a friend. Uh, her name is Gwyneth Ho. She's among one of the 47 uh, people who are now in trial for uh, violating the national security law for taking part in the democratic primary in Hong Kong. And she actually said she'll not accept any conditions that is hindering the freedom of speech in exchange for being allowed on bail. And I was so amazed by the way she put it because she can just say, oh, I'm not going to do anything anymore. Please give me the bail so that I can have a few more months with my family. But she didn't. She simply said, no, I'm not accepting that because that's fundamentally wrong. And this kind of courage is very great. I just don't have another better word for that. It's great that she said that. And this is something that we can all think about because it's very easy to give up. I, like I said, we have one million reasons to give up, but we, we only need one to continue the fight. That is, we, are, we know that what we're doing is correct and it's right. And that's why we are doing it. That is, that is so powerful. Yeah, that there's a million ways to compromise and probably a thousand ways to lie to ourselves that it is compromise and probably a hundred ways to make ourselves unconscious of the, the little dead zones in our souls because we've used the thousand excuses and used the million exits. And in a way, it seems to me and that that kind of bravery, you get to a point in yourself where you are not per se Glacier, I'm not per se Vicky. I am my values. So in a way, it's not personal sacrifice. It would be greater personal sacrifice to sacrifice my values because I've actually chosen that that is the DNA of my existence. The DNA of my existence isn't my personal story. Somehow or another, you cross that bridge. Is that a correct impression? I'd say yes, that's correct. I... I somehow don't see myself as Glacier Kuang when it comes to my activism. I see myself as part of the movement. I'm just like one of the schools. That is, I'm just part of, I'm just one screw of the movement. My role is to play an activist that is working in international lobbying. So be it, I will act like a lobbyist. I will act <laughs> like mature enough to, to, to do that job. But I don't feel like I'm Glacier Kuang because I am 
I am more than that. I am the values that I believe in. I'm part of the movement. And I think it's not only me. I think a lot of my friends and my colleagues are doing the same and feeling the same. I was someone that has a quite like a big ego before, like years before I came to Germany. And I always feel like it has to be about me. Like my activism is about me. It's my personal story, but it's actually not. And the reason why I changed is I saw a lot of my friends that are being very noble. They're making sacrifices. They're sacrificing their career. They're sacrificing their future prospects just to serve the cause that they believe in. And I thought to myself, okay, even though I'm not that noble, but I can measure myself against my friends. So even if I cannot do that, I can try to act like them. Mm -hmm. It's like following their footsteps. And they gave me so much courage to do what's right. Not for myself, but for the greater cost for Hong Kong. I have one, one final question here, um, which is that, as you well know, you know, the United States is famous for emphasizing a particular kind of freedom, which is the entitlement to do, be, and have whatever I want, you know, even if it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like, it's like way deep in the, in the DNA of our country. And it's a problem for us. You know, it's been a driver of a lot of innovation and, you know, it's, a, it's been a driver of a lot of things that we might think are beautiful about this country, but it's also a big problem because it makes social solidarity really difficult. You know, in Hong Kong, is there, is there yes, uh, yes. a greater baseline of social solidarity that makes any collective endeavor easier to move with because there's less emphasis on individualism I'd say no to that one <laughs> because the reason why Hong Kongers are like standing in solidarity, it's not really because we have this mindset of we have to collaborate. It's because we have no choice but to do so. Um, when you face the oppression of Beijing in such a way, it's actually not a bad thing to have like that kind of freedom in the U.S. that you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want and have all these kind of quarrels. It's not ideal, but it's not a bad thing, I'd say. And for Hong Kong, we don't, I, I would love to argue with all my colleagues because indeed we have very different opinions about political ideas, about what we want in life and how do we do things, but we just cannot afford that. So we are kind of forced, mm -hmm. like in quotation marks, being forced to be in solidarity in that sense. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's happening here too. I think there's a, you know, we use the term intersectionality, you know, there's a, a growing analysis that all movements are one movement and um, that we need to focus not on our little success of our little idea, but on challenging the, uh, you know, the forms of state power and the forms of the power of money in the state to basically deny future generations the privilege of living on this beautiful earth with more than enough for a happy life. So I really, really thank you for these reflections. I just think it's gonna be so nourishing to the people who listen to this interview. And we'll all be examining our own relationship with the things that we care most about and how we stick with it, how we persist in the absence of hope <laughs> and we persist because we persist. That's really great. Thank you so much, Glacier. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. 
don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.